Jess. Hey, hello, Faith. How are you? I'm good. I just got your Slack that you're so nervous. <laughs> You've been on the frontier so many times. I, I'm nervous. Yes, I'm nervous. Oh my gosh. Well, this one's easy, actually, because we just get to shoot the shit about this random event in tech history. So no pressure. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you any hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> How is carrying the, the dev team without Richie this week going? You guys doing okay? Yeah, we're not touching too much the front end. So uh, we miss him. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure he he has way more important things to worry about right now. Yes, I hope he's I'm, doing it with his new baby. Yeah, I'm such. looking at Slack right now, and there's an adorable picture of a newborn baby in a Gun.io onesie. So, <laughs> uh, thank you for that, Richie, if you're listening. Okay, Regis, this is called This Week in Tech History, and it's a new thing we're doing for Season 3 where we talk about something that happened this week in tech history. And then you and I will just chit-chat about it for like 15 minutes. It's pretty straightforward. Nice. We didn't just suddenly wake up one morning and we had the Xbox. We didn't wake up one morning and the internet was there. You know, how did we get there? That's what you want to know about history for. What I have next to me is uh, the first uh, bulletin board in the world, uh, CBBS Chicago. Uh, people wondered if the C stood for Christensen or Chicago or whatever, and, uh, and no, it didn't because there was no such thing as a BBS, so it was a computerized bulletin board system. On February 16th, 1978, the first computerized bulletin board system, also known as a CBBS, was created in Chicago, Illinois. It was developed by Ward Christensen and Randy Seuss, not related to Dr. Seuss, I did look that up, as a way for computer hobbyists to communicate with each other and is widely considered the first form of email to exist. I did not know that. While the idea had existed for a while, it wasn't until a massive blizzard hit Chicago in January of 1978 allowing the two men to dedicate a significant chunk of time to developing it. Wow, that's Shout out to that blizzard. January 16th, 1978, I went out to go to work and it had been snowing most of the night and I was unable to uh, to get out because it just kept snowing and kept snowing. So I think I shoveled for like two hours and probably came in at like 9.30, 10 o'clock and, and realized I was not going to work that day. So I called Randy and I said, you know, I've got the computer club recorder where people can call to find out when the next meeting is and to leave questions and things like that. And why not take that line and, and put a system on it that people could upload newsletters and things like that, uh, newsletter articles and so on, and we could do a club project. And I remember uh, he, he said essentially that that was, sounded like a neat idea, but forget the club because you know what, what a, a committee run something will be, it'll take it forever to happen. I had too many years in the Navy to uh, uh, to know. No, well, let's not let's not talk about it. Just do it. The two of us will do it, and you do the software, and I'll do the hardware. And tell me when you know when are you going to have the software ready? You know, like a project manager. Uh, the reason everything worked out so well is that we just kind of inherently understood each other. He let me do what I did. I let him do what he did. 
took me uh, about two weeks, probably about the end of the month, uh, before I uh, had some software ready to test. And uh, a little bit of playing around and let a few friends know it was there and try it and get some early feedback on things that it needed. And, and uh, uh, basically after, after the two weeks of, of designing and testing and put it online and refined it a little, and we called it a month, uh, so February 16th became the sort of arbitrary uh, birth date of it. And, uh, and it happened so quickly because of Randy's uh, uh, brilliant initiative in, in pulling it back from being a club project which would take forever and, and would be something more like the ARPANET that I had been in, which had a lot of people. They told people that it took a month when reality it only took a couple of weeks uh, and they just didn't want people to think it was a rush job. That's fascinating. Once a user has logged into the, the BBS of their choice, so that is that stands for bulletin board system of their choice, they're able to download and upload files, interact with messaging boards, and play games. So it seems really advanced for 1978. All of this was done through old school modems, which had to be connected through a landline phone. If a BBS had multiple phone lines, it could function as a chat room. Interesting. When you look at these things on the whole, they basically functioned as the precursors to social media and email with services like Netmail and FidoNet coming into play. Down the road, the introduction of dial-up internet and web browsers like Mosaic largely took over. And then by 1994 to 1995, the bottom had fallen out of the BBS market. Darn. It seems like anything that starts with BBS is or BB is destined to fail, like BBM, BlackBerry Messenger. <laughs> While BBSs do still exist, it's primarily for hobbyists with a weird niche of Taiwanese youth who use it as a communication tool. Fascinating. I just want to mention that this event was on February 16. It's my birthday, my daughter's birthday, and Jesse's birthday as well. <laughs> okay. I have one very important question for you, Regis, which is, as a developer, have you ever made the time that it took for you to do something seem longer so that it didn't seem like a rush job? Like, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I did think that <laughs> it took less time than I say, but it's not that I want to give people the impression that it was a rush job. It's more like I was, I was afraid to give people the impression that it was too easy. Uh, like that's <laughs> yeah. the expectation, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, wait, so, so, well, people don't like to pay for things that are too easy, so <laughs> yeah, they will come up with uh, harder tasks to do, and, and you say, oh, this one is tricky. And he will be like, no, the, the last thing I asked you to do, you <laughs> did in two weeks. This is easy. It's easy. Get yeah. it done. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the expectation, the bar is like always rising if you work like that. The other thing that like struck me here is this feels like a, a very important innovation. You know, Abby's backstory that she provided shares that like it really was a precursor for what we now think of as like social media and email and general online communication, but it was done by hobbyists. And I'm curious what you think about if, if this blizzard hadn't hit and these two guys who were just kind of like toying around hadn't developed this as a hobby, do you think it would have taken longer for corporations to figure this technology out? A crisis always speed up things. 
there are disguises created by the blizzard, so that certainly speed things up. Uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, it would take a little bit longer, but not too much longer. When when new things are invented, people tend to think like, uh, oh, if this person didn't exist, we wouldn't have this thing. It's not true. When something is invented, uh, what generally happens is that you had a lot of people trying to invent in that. So it's not that we were privileged by, by having this person inventing something for us. A lot of people, people were, were trying to grab that prize, that, that prize. Mm-hmm. So. So it's inevitable. Uh, yes, it, it can take longer and it might be not so good if done later by other person, etc. I'm always interested. I know it's like impossible to test this empirically, but I'm really interested by the competing motivations of developing or innovating for your job, right? Like you're being paid to innovate. And naturally the motivation there is monetary gain, right? And alternatively, innovating because it's a hobby of yours and you're genuinely doing it because it fascinates you, it gets you into a state of flow. I mean, examples like this where it's, you know, nobody was doing this because a boss told them to, they were doing it because it was a hobby and, you know, presumably they were getting a lot of like self-gratification from it. I just wonder what's the stronger motivation. I'm pretty much sure that if you like to innovate and that's what you're doing that's a better motivation for sure mm. but uh it's not the guarantee of success at all uh, along these years I, I saw a lot of good products good software uh some i i had uh a couple of colleagues that had bright ideas and they struggled to to launch that idea as a product but uh, it's a whole new thing. You develop something and then you launch as a product and you have to sell that and you have to, to have an audience that will, will join your platform. That's a, it's not guaranteed that an innovating idea will succeed at all. Mm. But, but for motivation, yes, if, if you are passionate for innovation and that's what you do, that's, a much better motivation. We have this this trend that is almost a decade or more right now. But uh, the indie games industry, uh, you you have very young developers. They don't have funds. They sacrifice their, themselves to launch a game that maybe succeed or not. We have a couple of cases, not a couple, but a lot of cases of success that people were struggling alone in a room coding by themselves and they hit the, the target. They got a, a huge success. They, their game were popularity and right. big money as well. Right. Well, it's also, it's like open source technologies, right? Like the folks who are grinding on those are doing it because presumably they get a lot of just gratification 
out of solving those problems for themselves. Like generally, when you're developing open source software, you're not doing it for the paycheck, right? And we've seen a ton of innovations come out of OSS. Yeah, but that's something that amazes me. I I think how these people get the time to dedicate right. that amount of of working something that's open source. What it must have some trick there, something that I don't understand how how that works. Or maybe they're already millionaires. You know, they don't have to worry about a paycheck. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. We should totally test like the the instance of being extremely wealthy against you know also happening to be a full time OSS <laughs> developer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if we get back to the the computerized bulletin board system, which I also just love that it's named after a bulletin board, which I think is generally not even in people's vocabulary anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is really like one of the first experiences of the internet um, that we can really trace back to, right? Like having essentially email capabilities. They didn't think of it as email, of course. Uh, being able to communicate through a computer with other people, upload and download files. And it makes me think about my first experiences with the internet, which frankly, you know, don't feel too much more advanced than the computerized bulletin board system, right? Like in the 90s, I was doing a lot of dialing up and, you know, web pages looked like, I mean, you know what they looked like. Um, <laughs> do you remember your first experiences with the internet? I, I had to pull a wire all across my house, up to my room. <laughs> Uh, my parents would get upset, but I would do it anyway. I would wait to midnight so the connection was better and nobody would use the phone. Do you remember that? Oh my gosh, it was the worst. Your huge 30 megabytes download would break. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually we had separate phone lines, which was really helpful. Um, But you know, in the early, early days, it also deafened you when you picked up the phone and somebody was on the internet. Oh my gosh, it was the worst. A phone, it's a tool to communicate. And we were using the internet for that same purpose, to communicate. I, I do recall that my first experiences was enter into chat rooms on on, on those mm-hmm. portals that, that that was the term back in the 90s, portals. Yes. <laughs> right? Yep. And, well, we were talking to people, but not through the phone, and we were competing with the phone lines. I do recall an interview with Bill Gates, with David Letterman, and he was, like, questioning him that if, if the internet wouldn't do the same as the radio or or recording a program mm-hmm. so you can watch anytime you want. Uh, although the dif- the difference was not so visible at that, that time, it was a huge difference. Well, I, I was just wondering that that how internet replaced phones and today right. nobody likes to use a phone <laughs> call <laughs> anymore. I know. That's another kind of question that Abby posed for us, which is like, 
at the time in 1978, when folks are interacting with the computerized bulletin board system for the first time, it probably felt like, oh my goodness, this is such a powerful tool for connectivity. It's going to bring people so much closer together. We can communicate without being physically close to each other. We can share visual files with each other, you know, without sending them in the mail. And I think the general consensus in 2023 is actually kind of what you said, like, well, maybe actually the internet drives us further apart. And so I just wonder, like, do you think there was any notion of that with like these initial bulletin board system users? Like, you know, actually this feels kind of um, distancing rather than bringing folks closer. Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Seven. Eight, the men have landed on moon on the moon <laughs> ten years ago. People, but people was still very excited with technology and the future. The future seems brighter than it looks today, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, but maybe people got got very excited with that new thing, computers. Oh, computers is now part of our lives. No, now we are the men of the future. Now the future has come to us. Uh, maybe there was that excitement, but uh, in our times, there, there are always the grumpy people that say, the oh, that, <laughs> that's the end. That's yeah. the end. That's not how you do things. Right. Well, and I also think in the early days of the internet, like the connectivity was a result of actual physical connectivity. If you're using a computerized bulletin board system, you understand physically how these modems are connected to each other. Like, in fact, you probably plug them in. And so there's a probably a clear sense of how the, how it's working, but also like to whom you're connected and how. And I'm thinking of this in the context of like, you know, my mom at the time was like fresh out of college and she in her childhood used party lines, right? I don't know if you had those, but it's a phone line that's shared with other people, like other neighbors on your street. And to me, the the CBBS kind of reminds me of a party line too. And in that sense, you know, your access to technology is contextualized within a community. Um, Like you're sharing this access with other people. Um, And so I think that inherently like kept, kept folks still feeling like part of a physical community as opposed to what we have today, which is like you said, people don't even like to pick up the phone anymore and hear voices, you know, it's all text. Yeah. Uh, And and because it was harder to to connect things and you have to have a little bit of knowledge to to use that thing although people would say it's simple <laughs> yeah uh, and and you mentioned that there are people that still use that thing today as a hobby and to this day that's the case you need to have a specific knowledge to use a bbs system mm-hmm. That brings people closer. Uh, maybe, right. maybe what, what connects people today is that they don't even know what's going on. <laughs> right. right. A cousin the other day sent, sent me a, a video showing young people trying to turn on 
uh, an old computer and they would struggle to figure how to do that. And he was like, see, we're getting old. This is, these young kids are way smarter than we were. And I say, that's not true. That's not true. I read this article the other day saying that's the first generation where the kids are, have a lower IQ mm. score than the, their, their parents. Interesting. And yeah. But I, 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 I mean, when I was a kid and I first touched a computer, I had to use some of my brain to get to my first internet, internet connection. I had to pick a wire, mm-hmm. go to my room, etc. It was harder than today. Today it's like, uh, you don't have to do anything. If you have to insert a username and password, that just too much already. Right. So I guess people might have this feeling of disconnection because they don't connect to their own brains, to their mm. own selves. They are just relaxing and dizzy and doing nothing all the time. Like uh, right. if you're not connect to yourself, you don't connect to others. Yeah. It's like we've reduced friction, arguably, too much. Yeah, maybe. Well, that brings me to my last question for you, which is, is there any part of you that is interested in joining these this weird niche of Taiwanese youth and becoming a, a modern-day user of a BBS? I would say that 9% of me wants to join that, wants to dig well, that hole yeah. and figure things out. That sounds fun. And I like old, old things. I, uh, it's a hub of mine to, to repair old, old computers, old video games and things like that. So that's very compelling to, to me. Yeah. That sounds very cool. I'm going to share that with Abby and maybe she can convince you to do it in the name of science for a blog post. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do it. I'll do it. And I'll share the results on Slack. All right, Abby, you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at The Frontier Pod and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.